0: Today, on Reparations in Action.
1: Um, They came, they had, they told us to come down the stairs. They had um, rifles, high-powered rifles. They were pointed at us. They were
0: yelling things. Um, They came down. um, You're listening to Reparations in Action, here on Black Power 96.3. Reparations now! Uhuru. You're listening to the White Lies Shattered podcast and FM radio show. My name is Jamie Simpson, and I am the host of White Lies Shattered, which is produced out of the Black Power 96 studio and broadcast on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Black Power 96 is not just explaining the world, but changing it. You can get the app for Black Power 96 on Google Play or the Apple App Store and listen wherever you are located. White Lies Shattered, also known as Reparations in Action, is a program of white solidarity with Black Power. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. We want to begin by saluting Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, Omali Yesha Tela, for leading the African Revolution and developing the theory of African internationalism, the theory and worldview of the African working class that guides the African revolution and which we credit for all the understandings and analysis provided on this podcast. This week, we are talking about counterinsurgency, COINTELPRO, and the FBI. This discussion happens in the context of the brutal FBI attacks on the Uhuru House in St. Petersburg, Florida, on Chairman O'Malley Yeshatella and Deputy Chair Ona Zane homes in St. Louis, Missouri, and five other Uhuru movement leaders' homes and offices on July 29, 2022. Currently, arrests and indictments on bogus charges are expected to come any day against Chairman O'Malley, against Agitprop, Director for the African People's Socialist Party, Akile Anayi, and Reparations and Action's own Penny Hess chair of the African People Solidarity Committee, and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, who I'm very honored to have with us on the program today. Uh, one other update that we'll be talking more about is that on January 7th, 2023, a historic African church burned in a suspicious two-alarm fire in St. Louis, Missouri. This church, known as the Sanctuary, is located on Red Bud Avenue and Rosalie Street in North St. Louis, just across the street from the home of Chairman Omalia Yeshotela and Deputy Chair Ona Zane Yeshotela. The building was under contract for purchase by the African People's Socialist Party, which planned to use the building for more programs to serve the African working class community. The fire department and police have said that the property is now too unstable to investigate the cause of the fire. In a press conference held on Martin Luther King Day 2023, Chairman omalia called the fire a direct attack. On Black self-reliance by the government. So I want to welcome now, I'm very pleased to welcome back to Reparations in Action, Chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess, and Chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. Uhuru, and welcome Jesse and Penny.
1: Uhuru, Jamie. Great to
2: be here.
0: Uhuru. Uhuru, Jamie and Uhuru, Penny. Uhuru, Jesse. Uhuru, comrades. So we have a lot to sum up today. It's been a, a little bit since our last episode. We're recording this episode on February 2nd, 2023. And, you know, because of the, the events that have happened, the, the two of you have really become news yourselves. Uh, you, you're at, in, in many ways right in the middle of the FBI attacks on the Black Liberation Movement, on the African People's Socialist Party. So I wanna begin by asking you both what your roles are in this movement so that people understand.
1: Yes, well, I am the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and that is the organization of white people that was formed by Chairman Omalia Shetella and the African People's Socialist Party in 1976 with the with the strategic purpose of sending white people behind enemy lines to to be voices for black power and white face and to organize other white people to take a stand for genuine solidarity for the right of African people to to fight for and win the liberation of Africa and African people everywhere and to fight for reparations to African people. And I have been a member of the African People's Solidarity Committee since the beginning, since it was founded in, in 1976. And it's a great honor. Um, I just really salute Chairman who is, you know, has fought for the liberation of Africa and African people every single day of his life for... At least sixty years, if not before.
0: Uhuru. Uhuru, really an honor to have you on the program today, Chairwoman Penny and Jesse. Could you tell us what your role is in the Uhuru movement?
2: Definitely. Thank you, Jamie. Um, my role is I am a member of that organization that uh, Chairwoman Penny has just described, the African People's Solidarity Committee. I'm incredibly proud and honored to be a member of APSC. And also to have the honor of being the chair of our mass organization, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, that has the responsibility to extend this message and this mission of winning white people to unite with reparations to African people and build solidarity with the African liberation movement. I um, met the Uhuru Movement in two thousand, late 2009, actually. The first person from the Uhuru Movement that I met is actually person sitting right next to me, Chairwoman Penny Hess, uh, speaking at a conference at New College in Sarasota, Florida, which is a college that's been in the news recently, actually. Um, and uh, that was a presentation on how colonialism is responsible for the destruction of the environment and how the only solution to environmental crisis is for African and colonized peoples to have power over the earth, over their resources, over their lives. And that was a life-changing uh, moment for me. And then not that long after that, at uh, University of South Florida in St. Petersburg, Florida, where I lived at the time, I had the incredible, immense honor to to meet Chairman Omalia Shatela. And um, I've been
0: part of this movement ever since. Wow. Excellent. Really thrilled to have you on the show today. Comrade Chair Jesse Neville, you know both of you have been doing such a a whirlwind tour, kind of uh, speaking to to several news outlets, interviewers, YouTubers. Uh, you've you've been all over the place, along with Chairman Omalia Chitella. Director Akile Anayi, you've really been getting out there. And and one of the things that you've been getting out there there with is letting everyone know exactly what happened on July 29th, 2022. So I'd like you both to take us through those events.
1: Well, yes. And we do have a video, which you can see at handsoffuhuru.org that gives you a little sense of the actual visuals of what happened. Uh, but on july 29th at 5am there were people pounding on our door and we were just you know i wasn't awake <laughs> and the um they they started using just high powered um, battering rams to break down the door and and did actually break the frame of the door. So they, the door opened, but it wouldn't, it really wouldn't close again. Um, they came, they had, they told us to come down the stairs. They had um, rifles, high powered rifles. They were pointed at us. They were yelling things. Um, they, we came down, we were, we had no, you know, This. I, I share the, the house with Kitty Riley, who's also a member of the African People's solidarity committee. Um, we had no shoes on, you know, pajamas, whatever, and um, and and we came down. Like, what is this about? And they said this has to do with an indictment of Alexander Iannov in Russia, you know. And you're, you're like, what? Um, and it was, you know, they they held us at gunpoint in our living room. We were not under arrest. Uh, they held us for at least 6 hours they came at 5 they left around 11 and they went through everything they went through every closet every drawer the whole house they took electronics um they took files they they just you know it was it was it was very it was very violent and we didn't know immediately that the um that, that at the very same moment, the same thing was happening at three locations in St. Petersburg, Florida, and four locations here in St. Louis. Although I certainly thought that this is what is happening to the chairman. Yeah. Um, so they went to the chairman's house in the most impoverished neighborhood of North St. Louis. They, they made it very clear to him that that they were prepared to do what COINTELPRO has done to African people, that they were prepared to, quote, neutralize the leadership of the African revolution. And they had the laser sightings against his chest as he came down the stairs. They were sending flashbang grenades, uh, breaking windows, and sending them into the house. And also from the back, and um, they had a. As deputy chair came down the stairs, deputy chair Ona Zanea Chatella. They uh, they were sending a drone. Um, they came in. We have a little bit of, of uh, footage from that. And at the same moment, they were they went to the house of uh, of Akile Anai, who is the party's director of Ajaprop, who who coordinates the Burning Spear, edits the Burning Spear newspaper coordinates the the Black Power 96 uh, FM station that's based in, in the Uhuru house. And as we can see from security footage that there were probably 40 or more agents who went into the Uhuru house in Florida, which has been the center of African liberation movement all over the world for more than 30 years, 35 years. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful building. They broke every single door, not only outside door, but doors internally in the building. They went through offices, they took files, they took archives of of pictures and other kinds of of important articles and papers that date back to the 1960s. I mean, you know, it was incredibly brutal, and, and violent, and it was especially targeting Chairman O'Malley Shetela, who, um, as we said, is is the leadership of the African Revolution, who has fought for that every day, and that's why he was targeted, mm-hmm. um, because this is not just a one-issue movement. This is a movement with, uh, with the organization, on first of all, on every front of life of African people, this is a movement that that has organization in South Africa and in many other countries and places in Africa, on the continent of Europe and the Caribbean and throughout the United States. And it's a movement that struggles against the colonial domination, or as the chairman calls, the colonial mode of production that forces African people to be impoverished, uh, brutalized, and, and violated in every possible way, through colonial domination, every place in the world, so um, you know this was this was something that was really an attempt to to assassinate the chairman on that day.
2: Oh real. um I just appreciate uh you know Chairman Penny summing up the events of that day and just to add um. So a a little over a year ago, the African People's Socialist Party and Black Star Industries acquired this building that we're sitting in right now, the Uhuru Solidarity Center on 2654 Gravoy Ave, a beautiful building that is really significant as the organizing base for the African People's Solidarity Committee and Uhuru Solidarity Movement. It has enjoyed incredible support from the white community in the neighborhoods, not just in the neighborhoods, but especially in the neighborhoods surrounding this building uh, here in South St. Louis. And the banner that says unity through reparations across the top of the building is known and recognized. People have mentioned that they drive by it every day on their way to work. Um, People have come by, knocked on the door and wanted to talk to us. And we also had a reparations summer project in the month Before actually in the month of July, before the raids happened, where members of USM came from throughout the country and participated in a massive literature distribution campaign to drop eight thousand pieces of literature on doors in the surrounding neighborhoods, educating the white community about the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, about the Center, about unity through reparations, and what that means. And um, and again, the outpouring of support was incredible. And Amanda Carlosi, who's the vice chair of USM, and myself. Um, have the honor to live in the apartment that is on the second floor of that very building, the Uhuru Solidarity Center um, in South St. Louis. And on the morning of July 29th, uh, you know, as, as Chairwoman Penny mentioned, uh, Chairman Omalia Eshitella and Deputy Chair Ona Zaneh they were raided in their home on the north side. And Deputy Chair Ona was planning to go to the Uhuru house to preside over one of the Uhura movement's programs, a training of 15 African women to become certified doulas or birth attendants. And um, I was actually assigned to participate with the the AV, you know, the audio visual stuff for that event. So that was what I was planning to do that morning. And um, then at 5 a.m., uh, and admittedly, I was also asleep. Amanda was asleep. Uh, this blaring voice goes on outside. It was a lot of noises all at once, like this voice outside saying, Uh, you know, to the residents of 2654 Gravoy Ave, come down, come out with your hands up and nothing in your hands. Uh, You know, this This is is the the FBI. FBI. Come out with your hands up and nothing in your hands. We have a warrant for this residence, et cetera. And, And then at the same time, this voice is blaring. These explosions are going off, which were these flashbang grenades that they were setting off. And at the same time as that, was this smashing noise of this battering ram, which was attached to one of their vehicles that they were ramming into the door? These are like you know steel doors of the Solidarity Center, and um, and and we came down the stairs, and the battering ram is like protruding up the stairs. So we come out, and six or seven of these SWAT, you know, military uh, forces, uh, armed federal agents are aiming assault weapons at us. And, you know, we understand that every assault weapon aimed at anyone that day involved with the Uhuru movement was aimed at Chairman Omalia Ishitela and aimed at the African People's Socialist Party. And they handcuffed us and raided the Uhuru Solidarity Center for six and a half hours taking, you know, uh, hard drives, phones, computers, notepads, notebooks, calendars, uh, you know, all of this. And they also mentioned to us this bogus in you know indictment and this bogus uh, allegation that the Uhuru movement and the chairman were referenced in some indictment of russian malign influence and uh, and just to close this out within an hour of the dust settling and the the FBI leaving the last property that they raided on that friday morning the chairman stood in front on the steps in front of his house with members of the community surrounding him and gave an hour long press conference to the media, exposing what had happened and exposing why it had happened, that it was another example of counterinsurgency war against the African liberation movement. And that was the beginning. That was the spark of this incredible hands-off approved counteroffensive that has been relentless ever since.
1: Incredible. Incredible. And I I just want to add to that, 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 Nobody was arrested. Okay, right. so here's the chairman. Right. They we did not, we were not in handcuffs. They just kept mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. with armed guards in our living room while they went around the rest of the house. When they they took the chairman and deputy chair out of their house, they handcuffed them. They told, they told them to, to sit on the curb, which they refused to do. But then after a while, the chairman said, Are we under arrest? And they said no. Right. They said, no. Right. You could go. Right. You could go. So when we asked that, they said no, but they said you could go, but you couldn't close our door. Mm-hmm. So we kind of had to stay there. And I think the same, same here, the same there. But I mean, even what was that about? Yeah. You know, they acted like we were under arrest. We were not. Nobody has been arrested. Nobody mm-hmm. has yet been indicted. But we do we do have reason to believe that there will be indictments coming down mm-hmm. on this. They're actually going to go through with mm-hmm. these bogus charges. Mm-hmm. And and just before we move on to that, I, I just, what can we talk about yeah. the charges? Let's talk about it. Because, wow. Well, I mean, you know, and of course the U S government doesn't mm-hmm. need or even care if it has a case, mm-hmm. The uh, Ward Churchill, who's an expert on COINTELPRO, was on an event that we had um, a really powerful hands off Guru event a couple of weeks ago you know, and he was saying that that they don't really care if they have a case or not; mm-hmm. they want to get you out of your routine they want to get you either off the streets or spending all your money to uh, to deal that that you would have towards community programs and put it towards have to put it towards a legal defense and which is incredibly expensive um, and and take people off, you know, out of what it is that, that they're doing and organizing and also as a way to, uh, to try to delegitimize the organization. And so, uh, so this is, this is really clear. I mean, this is a ridiculous charges that right. Jesse sum them up,
2: sum up those charges. Well, The charges in in the original indictment allege that Chairman Amalia Shetela, who at 81 years old now, has fought for over 60 years, the majority of his life, for the liberation of African people, has actually been doing this at the behest of the Russian government. And specifically, that it, it it was necessary in order for the African People's Socialist Party to raise the demand for reparations to run candidates for office, including two of the so-called unindicted co-conspirators, Director Akile and I, and myself, ran for office in St. Petersburg, Florida, on a platform of reparations to the black community. That that was actually the engineering of the Russian government that was behind that. That for the Uhura movement to petition the United Nations to challenge them to apply the convention on the punishment and prevention of the crime of genocide, to the conditions of African people in the United States to say that the United States government is guilty of genocide against African people inside its borders, which is something that there is a tradition of the African liberation movement raising that demand going back to the early 1950s with the We Charge Genocide petition that the Uhura movement has carried on throughout its entire history, raising the question of genocide, raising the exposing the reality of genocide against African people that these the US government is putting out this bogus and and frankly insulting and slanderous assertion that it wasn't african people who came up with that it had to be the russians it had to be somebody else intervening and telling them that they're facing these conditions that their people are being shot down in the streets by the police every single day in this country and that they need to do something to fight for their liberation and i just appreciate how the chairman has said you know we should be even as white people, we should be insulted that the U.S. government would pander to the most racist assumptions. The as the chairman said, like the most racist tropes about mm-hmm. African people—that black people lack the capacity or intelligence to know that they're oppressed and mm-hmm. need somebody white or that somebody else to control them and tell them that they need to, um, you know, fight for their freedom. We reject that and. It's insulting to and offensive to African people, and frankly, it's insulting to us that they would expect us to believe that, to buy such a bogus and racist and slanderous, uh, you know, load of nonsense. So this is mm-hmm. some of what they were alleging.
1: Right. Okay. It's really important to to know that the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman O'Malley al created an actual document Mm -hmm. that they called tactics and strategy for Mm -hmm. black liberation. And that was written in 1977 Mm -hmm. and it was, it was presented at a historic conference um, in in Massachusetts with a lot of other leaders uh, including Ella Baker of SNCC and many other uh, leaders of the black revolution of the 1960s were there and in it the chairman lays out a strategy that the party has always used and that is to win the in the world and among african people the the right for african people to struggle for for national liberation and that is what the party does and it has always had beautiful and very inspiring internationalism mm-hmm. and just deep and profound support and solidarity with with the indigenous people with the Mexican people with the Puerto Rican people with with the Palestinians with the Irish with the Cubans with the Nicaraguans with um, with people all over the world with Arab people with the people of Iran they've always had that they have always worked with others to win support and that includes russians mm-hmm. anybody who would make a stand to to have solidarity with the right of african people to be free and liberated to have their rep their reparations the resources returned is part of the strategy and always has been so you know it's not about there's no way russia can come and influence what the party has written what what the chairman has stated and fought for and created pamphlets about and articles about for 50, 60 years.
0: Uhuru, uhuru. thank you so much for that overview, Penny and Jesse. And if people are listening and, and you want to get a visual and audio of that day of July 29th, 2022, these FBI violent raids, uh, you can go to YouTube. It's on the Burning Spear TV. This three minute video is called FBI attacks Uhuru movement on July 29th, 2022 hands off Uhuru. So you can look for that FBI attacks Uhuru movement on July 29th, 2022. And I wanted to ask you both now, if there have been, if you could update us, it's February, 2023, what is happening with this state attack now?
2: Well, we have strong indications that indictments are imminent, and that could mean that even by the time this show airs, that indictments will have taken place, and that the U.S. government intends to arrest Chairman O'Malley Shatella and others from the Uhura movement, and uh, and put the chairman and the party on trial. And just to quickly say that, the chairman did put out a statement. I strongly encourage people to read, to read it. Um, it's on uh, the and handsoffahuru.org, where the chairman states that when they put the Uhuru movement on trial, the Uhuru movement is going to put them on trial.
1: But it's actually already been putting the state That's on right. trial. That's the chairman right. has completely turned this around. You have to say yes. who you are, why you did this, why you, you attack African people.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. One one interesting thing is that they've, you know, accused the Uhura movement of getting the idea to to charge the US government with the crime of genocide for its treatment of African people of, of getting that idea from Russia. But what they haven't had to speak to is whether or not genocide is being committed against African people.
1: Right. Exactly. So Exactly. And and the thing is that they don't have to have case Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they can get up there and they do they they lie they slander they um, they have agents they have all kinds of things that they say whatever they want to say so there's no way to beat it on their terms what the chairman has done well first of all he's been in the court of public opinion in just this incredible way, with so many responses from organizations, individuals, um, and media sources, and podcasts, and just all kinds of people from all walks of life, have um, have just expressed their their amazing, profound support for the African People's Socialist Party. The chairman has been brilliant. Yes, I, I would certainly say, at eighty-one years old, the chairman is the most youthful person that. I know that I can ever imagine with this energy and his fight and his brilliance. And, you know, just taking this on, he has done countless interviews um, several a day Mm -hmm. often. Um, And some of these have gone viral and just, you know, been seen by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of people. So the the overwhelming support, if you look in, in the comments of anything that's online broadcast, you just see so many just comments, thousands of comments of support, of overwhelming support for the chairman, for the Uhuru movement, for the African People's Socialist Party, and the right of African people to struggle for freedom and liberation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think... The Uhuru movement has seen a lot more support since these raids than the government had hoped. Um, you know, as we're having this conversation, I'm looking at this this poster, this community security alert uh, printed by the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, and thinking about how just a few weeks before this raid happened, there was this person. With a military-grade flamethrower who came to the Uhuru house here in St. Petersburg, where I'm located, and torched the red, black, and green flag, the international African flag that flies over the Uhuru house with, like, a 35-foot tower of flame. He was given a slap on the wrist, I think uh, released on something like a $200 bail, and... Now we have this situation just across the street from the chairman and deputy chair's homes in St. Louis, this church, the sanctuary that has quite suspiciously burned to the ground. Could you speak to that development that happened on January 7th?
1: Well, I would just say that, that that church was actually had been used maybe in the last decade or so as a kind of community center, and it would have really served a lot of the very much growing needs of the Black Power Blueprint and so many other projects that the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru House are are taking on. Um, It it would have had a lot more room. It would have had, you know, an auditorium, uh, which is very much needed by the movement, much bigger space for events and um, it just you know just so many. It was in good condition. It was very beautiful. It was very close to the current projects, and uh, the party was the Uhuru movement was in um, in negotiations or really trying to get a contract mm-hmm. on that church as to use it as a community center. And then suddenly and very mysteriously, this fire is raging, Right. and it really is destroyed. I mean, yeah. there's no way that it could be that it, you know, that it could be fixed up at this point.
0: Wow. So I, I wanted to talk now about why you think this is happening, and and really to you know analyze it through the lens of the the history of COINTELPRO or the counterintelligence program. And this this concept, uh, this reality, which is counterinsurgency or a counterinsurgent war, could could you talk a bit about that?
1: Well, yes. I mean, COINTELPRO or counterinsurgency is when the colonial state attempts to destroy the resistance and the revolutionary movement of the colonized. Counterinsurgency does not is not waged against racism. It's not waged against a race, I guess I would say. It is waged against an oppressed and colonized people who are rising up but don't have state power but are rising up to to regain power over their lives um, politically and economically and to fight for their national liberation. And counterinsurgency is normally conducted as I'm quoting here, as a combination of conventional military operations and other means. So it's, it's a war without terms. It's been called because they will use and do use military operations. As we've seen these raids were military operations, but other means such as demoralization, um, you know, just a psyops and slander and assassinations and, it can include military, paramilitary. It, it even includes, actually, if you look at the whole context of counterinsurgency, it includes genocide. Because when they come to the place where they cannot put down the resistance, as we saw in this country, against the indigenous people, then is exterminate them. They They, they must be destroyed. It's also counterinsurgency includes political, economic, psychological, and civic acts actions taken to defeat the resistance and the will of the people. And so it is very, very, you know, it's just hideous what it involves. And in Kenya, for example, the British, when the, when the African people were rising up, the people that were called the the Mau Mau movement were were rising up to to win independence in Kenya the the british counterinsurgency included just keeping people in in barbed wire enclosures outside for years and then hanging people by um just you know just row after row of hanging people or or grounding up glass and and putting it into the vaginas of African women and to the anuses of, of African men. I mean, just, just torture, terror, just incredible brutality to tell the people, if you struggle, this is what we will do to you. But nevertheless, people fight and, and people win. Oppressed peoples win. The counterinsurgency in the 1960s against the African liberation movement, against the Black Revolution, of the 1960s, as the chairman calls it, it was most commonly defined by a program coordinated from the FBI that was called COINTELPRO. Mm. But that did also include the National Security Agency, the even the IRS, um, and even the CIA. You know, it just it included other agencies. It wasn't just the FBI, right. And um, it it analyzed, and it's certainly its main target, especially in the 1960s, was the the Black Revolution, the African Revolution. And it, it made the point that the African Revolution of the 60s was the greatest internal threat to U.S. security since the Civil War. So it recognized something that that the white left never recognized that the African Revolution, from the civil rights movement through what became the Black Power Movement, an anti-colonial movement um, in, in the 60s, uh, was the galvanizing movement for all other national liberation movements: the indigenous, the Puerto Rican, the Mexican, the Brown Berets, you know, the uh, young lords. The um, Native American warriors, other other um, organizations and forms of resistance inside the U.S., which certainly the African Revolution embraced and considered, you know, as part of of their front, you know, of what what it was that they were taking on to to um, fight the colonial domination of African people, and I, I think that. That is really important, the centrality of colonialism to the point that as the chairman says, colonialism is a or the mode of production for everything. It is how everything that we have um, is produced. There's nothing untouched by colonialism and that that reality shapes how we see ourselves, how we see the world how we see ourselves as the subjects of history and it also means that we're the colonizer that we sit on this pedestal of the oppression the enslavement of African people the genocide of African people and, and indigenous people and this is what created our lives so as white people as the colonizers We've had the ability in the 1960s to, as the chairman said, take a bath, wash your hair, go back to, to college and jump right back up on that pedestal while African people were experiencing a very brutal defeat of a movement that shook the entire world. The Vietnamese recognized it the Chinese recognize it, the Cubans recognize it as incredibly significant as a revolutionary, the revolutionary struggle inside of the borders of the United States. So, you know, this is, this is really significant. And I would just say, also add that, that the chairman has explained that after the defeat of the African Revolution, the U.S. government salted the earth by imposing massive infusions of drugs into the African community and that, and then criminalized African people who just a few years before had been on, um, you know, the, the moral high ground of the people on the planet earth um, that, you know, they, they, they crushed this movement and then they, they criminalized and, you know, just massively built prisons and sent African people to prison, which is still happening today. The United States has the largest prison population in the entire world. And, you know, basically everything that African people do under colonialism is illegal. So this is what we're seeing that it's illegal for a revolutionary organization to fight for, Freedom and liberation, and, and political and economic power in the hands of African working class. Yeah,
0: yeah. And could could you take us through the um, earlier part of the FBI's history of waging counterinsurgency on the African liberation movement? You know, starting with uh, J. Edgar Hoover attacking Marcus Garvey, and then also uh, Paul Robeson, uh, W. E. B. Du Bois.
2: Uh-huh. Uh So yeah, just just to say that the FBI, and it's it's a director, J. Edgar Hoover, who was the longest running director of the FBI. <laughs> um, I don't know if he was in there for 40 years or 30 years, something like that, but he was in there a long time. He cut his teeth, as the chairman said, right uh, through using the FBI to attack and, and ultimately to destroy the movement led by Marcus Garvey, whose slogan was Africa for Africans at home and abroad, and which had over 11 million members and supporters around the world, and which was a massive and hugely influential movement fighting for the liberation and unification of Africa and African people uh, everywhere. And the FBI actually recruited its first African agent to infiltrate the Garvey organization And as Chairwoman Penny has said earlier, the U.S. government and the FBI, they don't actually need to have a case or anything approximating a case. They can make stuff up. And that is exactly what they did with Garvey. They carried out two separate long federal investigations into the Universal Negro Improvement Association. And each time, uh, Hoover's agents would come back to him and say, we got nothing on this guy. And he would say, keep trying, even if you have to make something up. And ultimately they did, they contrived this ludicrous charge of mail fraud and used that to justify incarcerating uh, Marcus Garvey um, in a federal pen- penitentiary and ultimately deporting him to Jamaica and breaking the back of the Garvey movement. And that was, that was basically what shaped uh, the FBI. And also just to mention mention the point that Chairman Amali Shatella has been making recently that there's all this talk now. Amongst uh, the you know Congress, the U.S. Congress, and a certain sector, there's a special House committee that the Republicans are forming to investigate uh, the a- alleged weaponization of the FBI for political use. And uh, the chairman has made the point that you know you're late to the game. The FBI has always been a political weapon of the U.S. ruling class and counterinsurgency, and you saw that with. With Garvey, you saw that, as you mentioned, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois in 1951 was indicted for the exact same charge. He was 83 years old, two years older than the chairman is now. And he was indicted in 1951 on the exact same charge, which is this thing called the Foreign Agent Registration Act uh, that he supposedly failed to register as a foreign agent of Russia. And he was charged with being a foreign agent of Russia because he circulated a petition calling for an end to the prolif- pro- proliferation of nuclear weapons, called a peace petition. And uh, he was put on trial. He was arrested, put on trial. And in that case, uh, he was ultimately the, the case was dismissed by the judge, actually, before the jury ever even uh, rendered a verdict. But they took away. They, he, he, went, he went to Ghana and they withdrew his passport. United States took away his passport and made it impossible for him ever to return to the United States. So uh, these are just some of many examples of how the FBI has been, always has been uh, a weapon of the colonial state in suppressing the struggle of African people from day
0: one. Wow. So we don't have a whole lot of time in this episode left. I definitely think we should come back to this question of counterinsurgency. In, yeah. in a coming uh, episode of Reparations in Action. But I, I wanted to, to ask you, what is next, particularly for the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and the Hands Off Uhuru campaign?
1: Well, I would just say about the, first of all, the Hands Off Uhuru campaign, counteroffensive, which is led by Mawesi Odom, who is just an amazing leader mm-hmm. of that. And people can go to handsoffuhuru.org to uh, To find out, there's a wealth of information there, and also a lot of activities, and and meetings, and events, and just interviews, and so many things going on all over that you can find out about at handsoffahuru.org. And I, I can also say that that the um, the need for resources is very great, very great. It does. Anything to do with lawyers takes a lot of money, and I would just say that, and you can go to handsoffohuru.org and find out how you could could play a role in in helping to to remedy that as well. So I think that's very important, and I also think it's extremely important for white people to fiercely take a stand uh, against this attack against the African People's Socialist Party. not just because it might happen to me, that's right. which I've heard some people say. Mm-hmm. The fact is, first of all, it's wrong. Right. It's wrong. It is something that, you know, in the 1960s, there was no white response mm-hmm. when Fred Hampton was assassinated or, or even Martin Luther King. There was no white response. I'm not saying that white people didn't respond because I think some individuals did, mm-hmm. but, under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, we are able to say, wait a minute, we are here as white people. And we're saying, as white people, we recognize that it is in our interest and our right to fight for the ability of African people to struggle to be free and to be free and liberated and to fight for reparations. And that when, you know, we... Say that we're under the leadership of the African working class because this government recognizes that the African working class organized is what will bring this, this system down. They recognize that. And so, therefore, for us to stand in solidarity with the African revolution and for the right, our right to fight for reparations to African people, is our way of fighting against this system. It's the anti imperialist stance. And I'm fighting for my right to, you know, to do that. I'm fighting for my right to stand in solidarity with African liberation and to fight for reparations to African people.
2: Uhuru. And I just also want to mention that towards that end, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement is hosting a national conference in March, March 11th and 12th, with the theme and the call to action White People Say No to FBI War on Black Liberation, Hands Off Okuru, and that will be held in St. Louis, Missouri, and you can
0: find more information on that at UhuruSolidarity.org. Wow. Excellent. Thank you both for everything you're doing, for your stand, uh, your fierce stand of solidarity with African liberation, your your, uh, leadership for uh, white people who want to take that stand as well. It's uh, been so great to have you on the program today. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's tuned in to this episode of reparations in action. White lies shattered. We'll see you next time. This has been an episode of reparations in action, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. We'd like to thank our team of volunteers Our sound engineer is Aaron Loss, who also composes our theme music. Our research coordinator is Alex Pletcher. Reparations in Action is produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96 studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Burning Spear Media Director Akile Anahi, as well as Black Power 96, WBPU-LP St. Petersburg, and the station manager, Mr. Eddie Maltzby. If you like what you've heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or if you would like to join our volunteer team, you can email us at ria at blackpower96.org. That's ria at blackpower96.org. A special thanks to Chairman Omalia Shetela and the African People's Socialist Party, without whose relentless leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible.